back to the case conley podcast we are back after an exciting weekend of sports we had march madness kickoff on thursday huge upsets we had seats saw some favorites fall we saw some favorites stay alive we'll talk about the most important games that i saw we'll talk about the upset of purdue by fairly dickinson we'll take a look at the sweet 16 now and see who can get out of what round we'll take a look in Preview those matchups. Also, UFC 286, huge card. It was Kamaru Usman, Leon Edwards, three. Leon Edwards came out victorious. We'll take a look at how that went. I want to start with the NCAA tournament. And boy, that was a fun tournament. That was one of the more fun tournaments that we've seen in the last couple of years. We, I talked about this with a couple of people, and you know, Obviously, we had maybe the biggest upset of all time. But other than that, we, we didn't have a ton of upsets really looking at it. I mean, it's looking at the, the bracket, the first round, and the West reason was complete chalk. Even if you look at the East, other than FDU, who beat Purdue, the 16 seed, the rest of that was chalk. I mean, yeah, we saw Furman, Princeton, obviously, the two big winners. But we, did, we, we only saw in the Midwest... Pitt and Penn State, an 11 and a 10 seed win, but we didn't see anything else. So I thought the upsets, we didn't see a ton of upsets. Kennesaw State was very close. They were one of my picks, and they had the game in their grasp before their huge scoring drought at the end of the second half. I mean, VCU was in it. We saw that. Drake had their big collapse late against Miami. So we saw some teams try to pull it and they were close. UCSB was close for a while, ended up getting pulled away late. Louisiana only lost by three against Tennessee. Another one I thought was going to happen. So we were close on a couple upsets, but in reality, we didn't have a ton. We didn't have a ton, but I mean, we can start with the biggest upset of them all. Fairly Dickinson, the 16 seed beating Purdue in the first round. They didn't went on to lose yesterday to Florida Atlantic. But what a what what a game! What a run by Fairleigh Dickinson! I just want people to remember they this team shouldn't have even made the tournament. They didn't win their conference championship. Mary Mac won that conference. So I mean, Fairleigh Dickinson was a 17 seed. To be completely honest with you, they played in the first four game, dominated Texas Southern. Team was 14 and 20. I mean, this was one of the honestly maybe the lowest team in the entire field. Nobody over. 6-6. Six, six. That's the way that they play ball. That's Tobin Anderson style where he wants those guards and he wants to create matchups offensively. But defensively, we can fly around and we can make things happen. And saw exactly that happen against Purdue. And I, this the one thing, and I was very bullish on the Purdue Boilermakers, and I thought their big weakness was the guard play. And we saw that the biggest weakness was the guard play. When you have two freshmen in your backcourt, it's very hard to win games in March. You don't, it's going to come back to bite you. You don't know when, but it is. I didn't think, I don't think none of us really thought, none of us, none of us thought that it would happen, obviously, in the first game against a 16 seed, but it did. Smith had seven turnovers. I thought Lawyer played 
okay, but he missed a lot of shots. That, that was just a scared Purdue team. And once again, this is a third year in a row. Purdue has lost. They lost to St. Peter's last year. To a seed, I, I believe lost to a 13 seed two years ago. Lost to St. Peter's the 15 seed last year. You saw, you saw players that were afraid. Mason Giles hit nine threes earlier this year in Penn State, which was a, against Penn State at home, which was a Mackey Arena record. He would not shoot it. If you watch that game, late in the game, he did not shoot the ball. Like there were people, there, there were guys on the court that did not want to shoot the ball. He did not want to shoot the ball. Smith did not want to shoot the ball. Lawyer did. He made that clutch three in the corner, which kept him in it. Edie, of course, wanted the ball, but he couldn't even get the ball. But I mean, FDU's performance, I mean, let's say they shot 38% from the field. 38%. It was just a great defensive performance. They did exactly what needed to be done. And they said, we're gonna, we're, we're gonna create doubt in Purdue's mind and scare them. And they were scared. And nobody nobody on Purdue wanted to step up and make the big play. And that's really what came down to hurt them. I mean, even watching Florida Atlantic, they, they took 17 threes against FDU in the first half. That's what FDU wants. They're the smallest team in college basketball. Yet their center, Florida Atlantic center, seven-foot center at the halftime, two of seven from the field. All Every shot was inside the paint. They just that relentless pressure. And, you know, I think the one thing that definitely cost them was the offensive efficiency. They just don't shoot the ball that well. They're not a great three-point shooting team. They missed a lot of easy shots yesterday, a lot of wide-open threes that they were airballing, to be honest. They, they missed a lot of layups. Of course, they made some big shots too, but, I mean, if they were 3% better from the field, they'd probably beat Florida Atlantic. Name might still be in this thing. But what a run by Tobin Anderson, and that style of basketball can work. It'll be interesting to see FDU what they can do in the future. Mr. Basketball from Michigan just signed go to FDU. So, obviously, they're reaching out. This is going to obviously help them as university, but, again, maybe the greatest upset in NCAA history. Kind of just taking a look at it from Thursday, what, what I saw. Maryland struggled to shoot the ball early, came back. That was a great game against West Virginia. Furman, the Paladins, couldn't get it done in the second round against San Diego State, but a huge win over Virginia with a magical shot at the end of the game. A key Clark just threw the ball away. Once again, Virginia just struggles in the first round, struggles in the first one. You don't have a, a consistent score. It's very hard. And you had Furman, you had Slauson, and Slauson is a very good basketball player. We also saw on Friday, Arizona go down to Princeton. My pick to win it all. Tosin Evbukwan. I'm sure I've said that completely wrong, but he is an absolute animal for Princeton. He had 15 and 7 in that game. He played well again in their win against uh, Missouri. Ryan Langborn had a huge game against Missouri, 20-plus point game, but huge win against Arizona, and Arizona just couldn't get it done. The, the, the bigs, once again, this was the guard play. Balo, 13-12. and 12. Tubelas at 22. He played fantastic, 22-5. Just the guard plays. When you get eight points from your best guard, and your other two guards give you three and two. That's not going to be good enough. And it was a great game by Piston, and Princeton made shots late. Well, a, a big thing that when upsets happen, either teams shoot really bad or they or, or 
teams make clutch shots and Princeton made clutch shot after clutch shot. They they really did. It was clutch shot after clutch shot after clutch shot. So, I mean, massive respect again to Princeton. It was a huge win for them. And they're still dancing as they'll prepare on Friday to play against Creighton. I mean, who would have thought that we would see Princeton in the Sweet 16, but here we are. So that was Thursday. We saw Duke dominate against Oral Roberts. They were up 15 to nothing at one point. And then obviously the disaster where they lost to Tennessee and Tennessee just looked like the more physical team. And Duke was a bit shocked to play against the physicality of Tennessee. In Tennessee, I didn't know how they would do with Vescovi being their guy. But Tennessee looked good. Tennessee looked very good. And, and But they're such a physical team. And that's why I think they're going to be very tough out is they are so physical. Sometimes it seems like they're almost playing football. Like they are. That's just the way they play. With no Sakai Ziegler, their best player towards ACL at the end of the year. They looked fantastic. Vescovi hit shots when it mattered. But that defense, that defense is so suffocating. And they're just so physical. They're one of the more physical teams I've ever seen. And I think that's a tough place to play, and it's a tough, it's a tough way to play, and especially when you're Duke with a lot of underclassmen. Houston struggled in the first round, beat Northern Kentucky, struggled in the second round against Auburn. They look like they're in trouble for the first half, but a huge second half propelled them to a win. And on Friday, we saw the opening game, Michigan State start off their run to the Sweet 16. They made five threes against USC. This is, remember, a top five shooting team in the country. They made five threes, and they made two threes against Marquette, and they won by nine. They won by 10 in the other game. Michigan State is a team that you don't want to play right now. Tom Izzo, Tyson Walker, A.J. Hogar, Jaden Akins. Joey Hauser, Maddie Sissoko has struggled all year. Really great start of the year. Struggled during victim play. He was huge in that game against Marquette. Michigan State, Kansas State, that's going to be a very good game. We'll talk about Kansas State a little bit later well, as I keep going through this. But Kansas State, huge win over Kentucky. Noel, Johnson, huge guys for them that make plays. Michigan State has Walker who can respond. That's going to be a great game in MSG. We also saw Pittsburgh. We saw Iowa State play the worst, one of the worst shooting performances ever in NCAA history. They put up 23 in the first half, but they had two points for the first 10 minutes. They shot 23% from the field, 9% from three. I mean, it was an absolute disaster. I've never seen a team struggle so much. 59-41, and there was massive loss in the first round to Pitt. I mean, I, I, it was one of the worst shooting displays I have ever seen. In, in the college game. It was, I've never seen it, but they couldn't make a shot. Pitt started off strong, then Pitt couldn't make a shot. How the tournament goes. Saw Miami, their magical little comeback against Drake, where they were down, I believe they were down six with two minutes left. Huge comeback by Miami, Isaiah Wong, as they're still alive and they will take on Houston, which again, this is a Miami team that they're just dangerous. Isaiah Wong, Jordan Miller, Nigel Pack. They have guys that can score the ball. Indiana struggled against it. I mean, they shot 48% of the field from the field against a good, against a good Indiana team, but they did say out rebounded. And he had 48 to 31. 
doesn't happen to the Hoosiers very often, but it was a great performance by Miami. And there's 16-point win. We also saw on Friday in that first round, huge letdown from Memphis, seven missed free throws. Florida Atlantic came back and won. And then that's how they got their tickets into the tournament. And well, not into the second round, where then they got their victory. So on the weekend, we saw the second round start. San Diego State out physical Furman to a victory. How about this Arkansas team? Eric Musselman, uh, he he might be Mr. March behind Tom Izzo. He just is able to have great plays, but you can see where they missed Bill Self. They really did miss Bill Self a lot. They had a very good first half, but they just struggled down the stretch. They couldn't get anything going. I mean, they shot 48% on the field, and that was better than Arkansas. But the 12 turnovers, and they just couldn't make plays late. Just couldn't make plays late. And Ricky Council, they could not guard Ricky Council. Played 40 minutes, 21, 6, and 4. And Ricky Council, he is going to give teams fits. Fits. And he's going to give UConn a fit. UConn will have fun guarding him. And UConn had a great performance uh, yesterday. And they're winning at St. Mary's. Saw so UCLA, Alabama, struggle in the first half, persevere late. Xavier looked good following their almost upset to Kennesaw State. Once again, Kansas State. That was a great Kansas State-Kentucky game. Oscar DeShiboy, 25-18. and 18. I mean, they definitely, you could see that they missed Simone Wheeler. They really did miss that other guard, but I mean, Marquise Noel, 27 points. Keontae Johnson only at 13, but when it mattered, a huge step back three. Once again, when you have two guys that are as hot as them in the way that they play defense, Jerome Tang, they have them going. It's going to be a great game against Michigan State. I saw Creighton. Creighton, a team that a lot of people have slept on. Huge performance, 85-76. Ryan Nimhard, 30 points. Cockburn only at 10 and 7, but huge performance by Creighton. Combating LJ Cryer's 30. Pate George struggled to really play. He only had seven points. Was in foul trouble a little bit. Great win for Creighton. Made 11 threes. Which you got to do against Baylor, who struggled on the inside, but they really burned him from the outside that game, which is not what, what I thought they would lose by. Did not think that's how Baylor was going to go down. I mean, just looking at the Sweet 16, we'll start in the South. It'll be Alabama and San Diego State. Alabama obviously has looked good. Not necessarily dominant. Brandon Miller hasn't looked dominant, but they've looked really good. They had their 22-point win against Maryland. They play San Diego State. Tough pack line defense. I think Alabama will get it done, but I think it's going to be very close. It's going to be a very close game. San Diego State will try to dirty it, but I think when it comes down to it, Bama's just got more guys. I think Quinterly is going to be a huge key for them. He's got to get going. I think he will, and I think Bama advances. And, and I think this is where Princeton comes up short because I think this is a good Creighton team. You cannot sleep on this Creighton team. They can score inside and out with Nimhard, Shireman, Kaluma on the outside. They have Kalkbrunner inside. I really like this team. Now, the only issue is they only play about six guys. They're not going to go that deep. I mean, against Baylor, six guys play, all played over 22 minutes. No one else, the two other guys had three minutes. So, I mean, they don't play a ton of guys. So, foul trouble has been an issue for them in the past, earlier this season as well. But we'll see. We'll see how Creighton plays. I think they match up well against Princeton. They're obviously going to have to stop Alupicum on the inside. I think they will. 
I think it'll be a Creighton, Alabama Elite Eight, and I, I think Alabama will push through. I think Alabama is just, just too good of a team. Nate Otavo has them. Being in Louisville, I mean, it's not a huge home advantage, but it will be. I think Bama makes out of the South and in that East. Florida Atlantic, Tennessee. I really like this Tennessee team, but I think Florida Atlantic is going to get it done. The, the way that they can grind out some games, I think John L. Davis is a huge factor. Vlaslav Golden, seven-footer from Russia, he's going to have a huge task. In the t- he, he's got to bring a real physicality. You see Elijah Martin, good three-point shooter. Florida, Florida Atlantic shoots a lot of threes. They were 9 of 31, which was, I think, a little too many when you're playing Fairleigh Dickinson, who also went 9 of 31. But they will shoot threes. They, they make about 11 a game. I think Florida Atlantic will shoot out Tennessee's pack line defense. And I, I just don't know if Tennessee can consistently score. Somebody's going to have to prove it outside of Viscovi with no Zakai Ziegler. Somebody's got to prove to be a consistent threat. And I, I think that's where they struggle. I mean, obviously, Nakumahoa has been huge. He had 27. So we'll see if he can continue the good play. But we'll see. We'll see how Kumo plays. Obviously, with Plafis, Plafisic, excuse me. So they, they do have some bigs down there, but I just they struggle to score. So I don't know how they're going to consistently score. And I think Florida Atlantic is just a little bit better shooting the ball threes. They were great in transition. I think they get the job done. I think we'll see Michigan State beat Kansas State. This is going to be, I think, the best game of the weekend. Two teams are pretty evenly matched. Michigan State shot the ball poorly, as poor as they shot it all year. Still, still was able to advance. And MSG, Tyson Walker going back home. Noel versus Walker will be a great matchup. I think this is going to be back and forth, but I think Izzo late will get the job done. And I think Michigan State beats Florida Atlantic. I think Michigan State Thomas will get to another Final Four. I just think this is a very... This is a team that you build for March. It's a great team for March. You have veteran guards who can not only make plays at the rim, but also plays outside, and they also shoot the three ball really well. But I think the thing that gives them more confidence is the way that they shot the three so poorly. The fact that they still won both games. That's huge. Just, just being able to know that you can win in other ways, which they've done because they don't shoot a ton of threes. They don't shoot a ton of them. They just have to shoot a great percentage on them. So I think they'll shoot, obviously, a lot better than they have. You have guys like Joey Hauser. Maddie Sissoko played as well as he has since November. I think Sparty gets it done. I think Tom Mizzle gets back to another Final Four. When I look at this Midwest region, Houston-Miami is going to be a fun game, too. I just trust Houston a little bit more. The consistency has been all over the place for Miami. I mean, look at the first game. They probably should have lost to Drake. Had that crazy comeback at the end. Thoroughly outplayed Indiana. Houston so consistent. Sasser's getting healthier by the day. I think Houston beats Miami. And I think Texas beats Xavier. I think we get a little Texas showdown in Kansas City. In Houston and Texas. Texas is just the hottest, maybe the hottest team in the country right now. Just don't want to play them in Xavier. Boy, when they struggle to shoot the three, they just struggle severely. I mean, I, they should have lost to Kennesaw State, to be completely frank with you. They late comeback, Kennesaw State couldn't score late. I mean, look at they made eight threes, shot the ball a lot better against Pitt, but against Pitt, a team that struggles to shoot anyways. I, I don't know if Knuckles gonna make go five of five again. I mean, they had six guys on double figures. I don't know if that's gonna happen again. 
Sule Boom will have to make some big plays for him. He had 14, 7, and 5. He's going to have to make some huge plays for them, though. But I think Texas just squeaks it out. Houston, Texas, as much of a toss-up as you want to say coin flip. I like Texas, just a hotter team. But once again, it's going to be a one-possession game. I think Texas's ability to be so on offense, they just have so many ways to beat you. Timmy Allen finally coming back into his own. Dassue has been fantastic in the last couple of weeks. You have Marcus Carr. You have Sir Jabari Rice. You have Tyrese Hunter off the bench. You have Brock Cunningham knows how to make winning plays. He didn't. He won't play as much with Timmy Allen back. Brock Cunningham's another guy. They have depth. Where if they get in foul trouble, I think they're going to be okay. And I think they have just a little bit of scoring. I think Allen being back gives them that confidence. I think Texas goes through. In the West, UConn, Arkansas. Talking about how uh, I like Arkansas, but I think UConn just gets a little bit more. Sonogo's finally clicking. They finally made some shots. They did that game, Tristan Newton, Jordan Hawkins. Thought you'll see Calcaterra shoot the three a little bit. Made 10 threes, 10 to 22. They're starting to play a lot better against a St. Mary's team that just doesn't allow a lot of points, and they scored 70, which is very good on that. 54% from the field. I think they're going to slow it down, give Arkansas some trouble, but UConn can run too, and I think that's going to be the issue is they can kind of beat Arkansas in different ways. I like UConn. Gonzaga-UCLA is going to be another great game. I lean Gonzaga just because of Mark Few and just because of Drew Temme. I mean, once again, you saw Drew Temme against TCU last night, 28 points, 8 rebounds. You got the guards who have been playing a lot better. Receiver Bolton's kind of came into his own as a a scorer, along with Julian Strother. I think not having Eddie Lampkin, who left the team before the Big 12 tournament, is going to be huge, and it's, it's going to be very hard for TCU. Still have Mike Miles, or not TCU, well, it was hard for TCU, and I think that's kind of the difficulty that UCLA is going to have, not having that true, consistent big man inside who can guard Timmy. It's going to be a lot of pressure on Bona and Nawuba. So... I just think they don't have that bona fide. The guards, I think, will give trouble. Hawkes with 24 in the last game. Tiger Campbell, Mari Bailey, they're going to make points. I just think Gonzaga just haven't drew to me inside. It's just a little bit just to persevere. But I think UConn will make it out of the West. It'll be a tough spot for them in, in uh, what should be a pretty pro-Gonzaga route out there in Vegas. But Sonogo inside. Once again, they're finally coming into his own. They're, they're shooting the ball well. They can just beat teams in many ways. They can slow the game down if they need to. They can speed it up if they need to. I think just for that reason, I think UConn will advance. I think we see a Final Four of Alabama against Michigan State. And we'll see Texas against Gonzaga, or UConn, excuse me. It's going to be a great, great semifinal and Final Four in Houston. But, I mean, I think FDU is just one of the shockers of the tournament, and deservingly so. But we still got some Cinderella's left. We still got teams like the Florida Atlantics, the Michigan States. See if Princeton can get it done to be back-to-back years that a 15 seed makes the Elite Eight. We're going to take a short little break. When we come back, we're going to look at UFC 286. Leon Edwards is still the champion. We'll be back. <laughs> Welcome 
Welcome back to the Case Conley podcast. And a little bit of breaking news out of today was Ed Cooley, the former coach of Providence, has moved on to Georgetown following their firing of Patrick Ewing. And Georgetown hasn't really been the same. And I think that Providence really, Ed Cooley did everything he could at Providence. I think he kind of reached the peak of what he could do there. So it's great to see him move on. And it's great to see him go to Georgetown, who I think, Facilities-wise and money-wise and the recruiting-wise, a little bit more of a firm place there. And I think it, I think it's a great hire. It's a great hire for Georgetown. And I think I would be surprised to not see them competing for NCAA tournaments very soon. Ed Clue's a great coach. He's the type of guy I think that can bring some new energy into the program, but also just some winning, winning mentalities, the way that he's been able to win and not only the Big East – but also in the NCAA tournament in the past, obviously not this year when they went down in the first round, but I think it's people are calling it a lateral move. I disagree. I think it's a good move for Ed Cooley. I think it's a positive move for, for UConn or for Georgetown. Obviously Providence, the way that he's laid a foundation there at Providence, they can build on, but great performance or great performance at Providence. And I think he's going to be very good at UConn. But just taking a look at UFC 286, it was in... The O2 Arena in London, headlined by Kamar Usman, Leon Edwards. Leon Edwards in a decision over Kamar Usman to maintain the welterweight championship. And he's proved everyone wrong again. It's a two-to-one underdog. And he just beat Kamar Usman. It's that simply just beat him. And it was a great performance. And I think he's now is the main dog in the welterweight division. And, you know, he talked about after the fight, who he's got next. And I, there, he's right. There isn't really a clear contender. Obviously, Dana White is pushing Colby Covington. But Leon Edwards just said, and he's stood firm, he will not be fighting Colby Covington and then the next fight for the Championship Championship. It's not done enough. He hasn't fought in a year and a half. He needs to win. He needs to prove himself at least one time. And I agree. But I don't think there's a clear. I think definitely the favor will be definitely if Masvidal beats Gilbert Burns at UFC 287 in Miami. In a couple of weeks, that's going to be obviously, I think, the main matchup that Edwards wants with the with the beef that he has with Masvidal. And I also think Gilbert Burns puts himself in a good spot if he beats Masvidal. So, obviously, it's a very open open division. We'll see if Kamaru Usman comes back. We could see Usman Colby again, maybe. I don't know. Just throw it out there. We got Kachamayev. We got Chavkat. A lot of options in that welterweight division. And Leon Edwards can sit there and take who he wants. And the other big fight in the co-main event, Justin Gaethje with a decision victory over Rafael Fiziev. And he was an underdog. I bet Justin Gaethje just because he was an underdog. And I don't know why people were so low on Justin Gaethje, six and four. But I mean, the way that he wins and if Fiziev was going to sit there and try to play a stand-up game against Justin Gaethje, that's not how you beat Justin Gaethje. This is not how you do it. And he proved that he picked him apart. I think Fiziev probably won the first round. But Gaethje was dominant in the third. Saw the big cut open up over the eye, and he was just going to town on Fisayev. If this was a main event with five rounds, I think Gaethje probably would have knocked him out in the fourth. I mean, huge fight for Gaethje. Huge win, and he stays in a lightweight conversation. He said he wanted to make one more run at the title, and he's got himself in a great spot with a win over Fisayev, who nobody wanted to fight in the lightweight division. So it'll be interesting to see what Gaethje does next, but huge win for him. And just taking a look at the upcoming cards we have this weekend, huge bantamweight fight. And I think the deepest 
weight class in the in the UFC right now. Marlon Chito Vera takes on Corey Sanhagen. Huge fight for these guys who, again, may be making their final huge push at the belts. Definitely Cheeto's final final push, and he's been great. This winner of this might set up a Sugar Sean O'Malley, might set up what we don't really know what's going to happen with, obviously, whoever wins Cejudo Sterling um, at 288, UFC 288. But it will, it'll be interesting to watch. It'll be fun to watch. And once again, these guys making the run. Also, Holly Holmes' comeback will be the co-main event, setting up 287, April 8th. In Miami, we mentioned Gilbert Burns, Jorge Masvidal, also on that card, middleweight championship. Alex Pereira looks to defend the belt after his knockout, shock knockout in the fifth round of Israel Adesanya. Also on the card, Kevin Holland. Also on the card, Rojo Rosas Jr., the 18-year-old Bantamweight man who is trying to build his way up the roster. He'll be first fight on the main card against Christian Rodriguez. So, once again, we have some great fight cards coming up we've been blessed with some great cards to be honest i mean even in the prelims for that fight we got chris barnett in the prelims who doesn't love a little chris barnett kevin gaslam michael chiesa so we got some good guys in the in those prelims and very excited for that for that fight too we've been blessed with cards even after that holloway Ar uh arnold allen in the featherweight might be the next after this the Ayer volk fight maybe the next contender there I mean, even after that, we got Blades Pavlovich. I mean, great fights cards coming up. Obviously, UFC 288. First weekend in May, that card's still being put together, but around Sterling Cejudo and then the co-main event, Oliveira Dairouche. So, have some great fights. But, man, the UFC has really, they said the 30th year was going to be crazy. We've gotten some great cards to start the year. So, we will take a little break. When we come back, we'll talk about the latest in the NFL free agency. <laughs> Welcome back to the Case Kai Podcast and in the episode with some of that new free agency news and over the weekend, we saw the Texans reach an extension with Laramie Tunsil. Obviously, there were some trade rumors, but he agreed to a three-year, $75 million deal, $50 million guaranteed, making him the highest paid left tackle in the league, and he's deservingly so. And I think the Texans, DeMarco Ryan comes in, wanted to solidify some of the stars there, make sure that they were there, and Laramie Tunsil is a huge piece that needs to stay we also saw them trade a player we saw him trade brandon cooks to the dallas cowboys for 2023 third or 2023 fifth rounder 2024 sixth rounder brandon cooks feels like he's traded every offseason i think it's a good deal for the cowboys they've they, they really missed that second third option we don't know what's gonna happen with dalton schultz and free agency it's a good option to have with cd lamb with michael gallup who's coming back with noah brown to have a veteran true receiver who I think that can count on. I thought huge signing for the Lions, signing for agent safety, nickel, corner, anything you want, C.J. Gardner-Johnson from the Eagles. And I thought that he would definitely be staying in Philly, but he's not. He's coming to Detroit one year, $8 million, 6.5 guaranteed, and it's a huge move for the Lions. They needed help at the secondary position. And it is massive. It is huge. That is, the, the Lions are building up a very talented team everywhere. And you know what Dan Campbell said? It's going to take a couple of years, which obviously it's gone a little bit faster, but we're not going to stop. We're going to bring more guys in. And they kept bringing guys in and bringing guys in, and, and they're getting better. 
And with the, the, the picks that they have in the first, second round this year, Detroit is building something. And I think it's really good. And if they can find if Jared Goff's obviously the quarterback, they got to make some decisions. Again, they signed David Montgomery, which I thought was a great signing. So the Lions are, are really building a team, and that's a scary defense. The defense is getting a lot better. And that's the area that obviously need improvement. It's getting a lot better. So the Panthers continue to have their weapons, signing Adam Thielen. They have number one pick. They needed a new number one receiver after shipping away DJ Moore. So I think it's a good veteran receiver to have with presumably CJ Stroud, who they're going to sign. So I think it was a good deal for them. Just, just having some guys there that can really help Stroud or whoever they take really develop. So the Miami Dolphins exercised two attack of Iloa's deal, which was definitely not the most surprising thing. So Darren Waller traded the Giants. I thought it was a great deal. It was a great deal. And I, I really, I really think that obviously I think Oakland or Vegas, excuse me, was kind of like, we need to move on, which I understand, but great move for the giants. They didn't have to give up necessarily that much. And if you can get Waller and a shell, hopefully him healthy, the dangerous weapon to add. And yeah, CJ Garner Johnson situation was so interesting because early in free agency, the Eagles made a million dollar offer, but he wanted more. But they 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 moved on. They signed Daniel Bradbury. They extended Darius Slay. And I, I don't think they realized that he might have been a risk as in a multi-year deal that we don't know how great he was going to be. And the safety is such a weird position. He got overvalued, so we got to prove a deal. But once again, it's a great value for the Lions. The Lions took that prove a deal, and it's a great move. We'll see. There's some rumors on Sean Murphy Bunting, great corner from the Bucks. He's had an interesting with 13 starts in the past two years. He's got some good talent. He's interviewed with the Titans, so see what happens there. But we saw some deals made over the weekend, and obviously Lamar Jackson, still something's got to happen. We saw Odell Beckham. He's starting to get better. So obviously we're seeing some of these free agency things develop, and obviously Aaron Rodgers going to be New York Jet. We'll see how that deal happens, if it does. Um, obviously, the Packers are going to try to, I think, juice and stall it as much as they can, which a little pettiness maybe, but obviously the Jets have became a contender with that great defense with Aaron Rodgers and that offense. If they get that deal done, the Jets might be for real in that. Talk about how that AFC East might be the softest division of football. What, five years ago now? It might be the best division of football. So thank you for another episode. It was great having you. I will be back on Friday. We'll talk a little bit more March Madness, get into that, and any more NFL breaking news that happens. Thanks for joining me, and I will see you on Friday.